Uh, friends, this morning, we're entering a new year, and therefore, here at North Holland, that means we enter into a new sermon series. Um, so we have a rhythm, as we know, of doing usually like three or four sermon series a year. Um, for Lent and Advent, so going into Christmas, going into Easter, we sometimes follow the lectionary texts. Those are predetermined texts that ministers can choose from and churches can choose from together um, to study and reflect on. And we have done that. And we've also done some other things here at North Holland. Um, so this, uh, this past fall, we did our Back to Basics sermon series, and we spent some time thinking about these basic or fundamental, not necessarily simple, but fundamental stories on which we build our faith. And if we can remember back, which I know is hard because it was 2020, um, in the summer, we asked ourselves what it means to be the church. And we used Acts 2, the Pentecost church, as a way to frame that question. What does it mean to be the church and to follow God? And even further back from that, Jesus' words uh, as he made his way to the cross brought us to Easter Sunday. And even further back, a whole year ago, we were about to start our Seven Deadly Sins sermon series. So we covered a lot of ground uh, in 2020. And if you remember, we had that big like sign that we used for the Seven Deadly Sins as well. Uh, but this feels like a very, very different um, year. And last year, 2020, was a very different year. So as we were wondering together, God, where should we go? Where should we turn to? as we come to the close of 2020 and enter into 2021, our hearts settled on Ruth, on the story of Naomi and Ruth and Boaz. Those three characters, Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz, would understand a little bit of where we've been this past year. It's a story that begins with scarcity which we've seen in new ways over this past year. It's a story that begins with loss, a lot of loss and grief. It's a story of sickness as well, or it starts that way. But ultimately, and this is why our hearts are settled here, ultimately, it is a story about acting in hope, about small, simple even mundane steps of faithfulness. In just a moment, we'll open together to Ruth, to the first chapter of Ruth, and we're only going to read the first five verses together. Uh, these first five verses do a great job of setting the stage not only for the four chapters of Ruth, but also set the stage for what's going on at the time, both in Judah in Moab, and in the surrounding areas. But before we turn to God's word together, let's pray. God, may your word be our rule, your spirit our teacher, and the glory of Christ our utmost concern. In your name we pray. Amen. Turn with me to Ruth chapter 1, starting with verse 1, and we'll read together through verse 5. 
In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his sons were Mahlon and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Mahlon and Kilian also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. (laughs) Thanks be to God. I'm sure some of you, if not maybe many of you, worshiping here or online are familiar with some of the story of Ruth, the story of Naomi, and the story of Boaz, who we'll study in future weeks. This is the story of Elimelech and Naomi, who are living in a time of famine. And ironically, this famine is happening in Bethlehem, which literally means house of bread. So in the house of bread, guess what they don't have? Bread. They're in a season of famine. And Elimelech and Naomi have an important decision to make. How will our family survive? this famine in Bethlehem. And they make a very difficult decision, which we can tell in the way the narrator phrases it. They're not too sure about. And that's the decision to move to Moab. They hope to only stay there for a time, but they know that they must leave because there is no bread in the house of bread. They make it to Moab and we don't know. We don't know why Elimelech died. We don't know how old Elimelech was when he died. We just know he died and Naomi is left. We don't know why Mahlon and Killian died. We just know that they died. We don't know how old they were when they died. That's all that we know. We know they were married for 10 years. And then they died. Given uh, different marriage customs at the time, we can make an educated guess that Mahlon and Killian were likely in their 20s and that Naomi was likely in her 40s at the time that this happened. We also know from what's unspoken that Ruth and Orpah, not Oprah, Ruth and Orpah, Mahlon and Killian's wives, they do not have any children. So for 10 years, they are married. For 10 years, they walk a season of infertility as a young couple. And then Mahlon and Killian also die. So right off the bat, in just five verses, which take less than two minutes to read, This is a story of incredible loss. This is a backdrop of immense suffering. Many in this space 
know what that feels like to lose a spouse, to become a widow or a widower. Some in this space know what it's like to lose a child or to see someone that you know and love become a widower, a widow, or lose a child. Some of, it's no, some of us know what it's like to walk through seasons of infertility. So already, this story speaks to us. It's only five verses long, but did you notice that it's more than ten years that pass in these five verses? Mahlon and Killian are married for ten years, but beyond that, we don't know how long they were in Moab beforehand. We don't know how long it took Elimelech and Naomi to make the decision to move. So we're looking at at least ten years, if not more time, that has passed. So for over a decade, this family has been walking in pain, has been walking in grief, and navigating scarcity along the way, living in a famine. For us as 21st century readers, those, I think, are the things that we notice. Uh, We notice uh, the immediate tragedy that this family has experienced. We notice how long it takes, a long time. And there are some other things that we might miss as 21st century readers that some of the earliest hearers of this story would have picked up on. Uh, The first is just in that first phrase, which says, In the days when the judges ruled. In the days when the judges ruled. Now, in our Bible, the book that comes before Ruth is the book of Judges. And in this book, in Judges, God's people, the Israelites, are stuck in a very vicious cycle. And that cycle is one of disobedience. God calls for their repentance, they repent, they respond with gratitude, and then guess what? They're back to disobedience. God intervenes, they repent, they express gratitude, and again, they disobey. Again, God calls them out. Again, they repent. Again, they express gratitude. And that cycle happens repeatedly in the book of Judges. These are the days when the judges are ruling. These are also the days, according to the final verse of the book of Judges. These are the days where Israel had no king, and everyone does as they see fit. So the people are stuck in this vicious cycle. There is no king, and everyone does as they see fit. The first hearers of the story would have also heard the names of these characters, of Elimelech, Naomi, Mahlon, Killian, Ruth, Orpah. And in hearing these names and what they mean, they would have made, I think, some educated guesses about where God is going to move, how God is going to move, and what might happen to some of these characters or what they might be like. This story starts in the time of judges. We're stuck in this cycle of disobedience, repentance, disobedience, repentance. And then we encounter Elimelech, which is hard to say when you have a scratchy throat. Elimelech. 
Elimelech's name means my God is king. My God is king. In the time of the judges, in the time of disobedience and, and repentance, of disobedience and repentance, when there's no king in Israel, my name is Elimelech. My God is king. We get this glimmer of hope in his name that, yes, we are in the season of judges. We are in the time where everyone is doing as they see fit, but my God is king. And Elimelech dies. My God is king? What does that mean in the time of the judges for my God is king to die? Naomi. Her name is really unfortunate because it means pleasant. But Naomi is much like Job. She loses everything. She loses her family. She loses her property, her sense of security. Her name means pleasant, but her circumstances are nothing but. And in the next chapter, she'll say to her friends, don't call me pleasant. Call me bitter. Call me Mara. Because in the time of the judges, where is Elimelech? Where is my God is king? My circumstances are not pleasant. That's a joke. Please call me Mara. Do not call me Naomi. Her name means pleasant. And when we see it in this first five verses, but we see that her circumstances are not pleasant, a careful reader will ask, what will God do for Naomi? How will God restore Naomi back to pleasant? Poor Mothlone and Killian, um, their names mean sickness and weakness. Um, so when we read their names right away, we, we know, um, that they're probably not going to make it much further. And yes, they do make it 10 years, but they only make it two verses. Um, and that's not a surprise for us as careful readers, because that's what their names mean. They represent the loss that Naomi, that Ruth and that Orpah are going to experience sickness and weakness. And finally, we have Ruth, Ruth, for whom the book is named after, Ruth is from Moab. Ruth is from the country that butts heads, from the nation that butts heads with Israel. She's from the place of foreign foreigner. She is from the place that worships pagan gods. She is from the place that throughout scripture, God and the Israelite people have conflict with. And yet Ruth, her name is friendship. Her name means friendship. It means loyalty. And as careful readers, we're surprised That this Moabite woman, this woman from a pagan land, this foreigner comes with friendship, comes with loyalty. As careful readers, we see why God brings Ruth and Mara together, that she might become Naomi. And finally, we have Orpah. Um, Orpah is going to leave us in the next couple verses. Um, She chooses to return to the house of her mother, which is very culturally understandable. And so her name represents that decision. It means neck, or more specifically, the back of the neck. So we know she's going to turn and show someone her back. And that's exactly what she does. Not in a way that we shame. It made sense that she made that decision. We'll hear more about that next week. But we see the back 
of her neck. So the names of these characters really matter a lot. And the question that the names leave us is, where is Naomi's pleasant? And Elimelech, God, if you are king, where are you? I also just want to stress as we as we enter into Ruth, um, and I think this is something that we know, but it bears repeating, um, is that in this culture, in this time, Naomi and Ruth and Orpah as widows are in a lot of trouble. Uh, We know that the Bible has a lot to say about caring for widows, and that's because they're at the lowest rungs of this society. Uh, Women who were unmarried, they depended on their fathers to provide them with land, to provide them with security, to provide them with food, to provide them with safety. Married women got that security from their husbands. They moved out of their father's house and got that security from their husbands. And if a married woman became widowed, that sense of security would come from her sons, the sons that she had in her marriage. But we have no fathers in this story. There are no sons in this story, no husbands in this story. These women do not have anything. They cannot own their own property, typically. They can't make money. And they don't have their family. They are in a very, very bad spot. If you were to skim these verses one more time, Ruth 1, 1 to 5, and notice how many times it says the word God or Lord in here, you would not see God's name in these five verses. Elimelech means my God is king. But in our English translation, we do not see God or God's name. In fact, what's really interesting about the book of Ruth, and many commentators and scholars have really interesting discussion about this, is that God is just barely mentioned in this story. Sure, the characters talk about God, and we'll hear that in the coming weeks, but God only does one act in the book of Ruth, and otherwise is entirely absent from the narrator's telling of the story. This is not the type of flashy God who does the burning bush. This is not the type of God who rains down the 10 plagues. This is not the God who sends fire on the prophets of Baal. This is not the Shekinah glory God that we're dealing with. This is a very different God, another side to our same God. This is a God who does not work through those things, but works through the small mundane, simple, faithful tasks of his servants. This is the God of Ruth. This is the God of Naomi and later of Boaz. We'll see in this book that Ruth and Naomi talk to each other um, several times. Ruth goes to work a few times. Naomi talks with her friends. And in these simple acts of talking with one another and going to work and speaking with friends, God changes the world. You might think that sounds like a little romantic or overly dramatic, but if we look at the end of Ruth, 
we see something really important. So I'll, I guess I'll just, spoiler alert, tell you what we see there. At the end of Ruth, Ruth does have a son, Ruth and Boaz together. That son is Obed. After Obed comes King David. And who is in the line of King David? Jesus. These small, simple, mundane acts change the world. And this is the God that we encounter in Ruth. Now, I find a lot of encouragement in that this morning because that's about the energy that I have right now as I come to the end of 2020. Those small, mundane, simple tasks that God can use to change the world. As we come to the end of this year and begin our study of Ruth, um, I know that often people will make 2020, oh, 2021, whew, move past 2020, 2021 um, New Year's resolutions. Um, some people pick a word that they like to shape their year or set some goals. Um, and I wonder if you are in the habit of doing that already, if you could ask yourself some questions as we transition out of 2020 and into 2021. If in the face of scarcity and loss and grief, sickness and death, those small, mundane, persistent acts of faithfulness are what God is using to change the world, I wonder what those small opportunities of faithfulness are for you. Not big, not overwhelming, but those small, simple acts of faithfulness. I wonder if you asked internally, if you asked yourself, or if you considered your family, uh, your church, your place of employment, uh, your neighborhood, or perhaps this community, the community of Holland, of Zealand, Grand Rapids, of Kalamazoo, if you considered those spaces in which God has placed you for such a time as this and asked yourself, how are they doing? Or how am I doing? What do they need? What do I need? And how can God use me to faithfully speak into those needs to authentically come alongside those persons? I know that might sound simple or kind of boring, but what we know from Ruth is that those are the things that God is using. Those are the relationships that God is using to bring about deliverance. So I encourage you to be on the lookout this week for those small, faithful steps. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray together. Lord God, Jesus taught us to pray and never lose heart. But frankly, there are times that wear us down and we feel faint-hearted. Sometimes we feel very weary and close to giving up. <clears throat> there are times that we might lose hope and don't know where to turn. And it's exactly in times like these that we need to hold each other up in prayer it's in times like these that we need to encourage each other and to cry out to you for those in need. 
It is times like these that you invite us to take small, faithful steps. And so, God, this morning we do that. We hold one another up. God, we praise you for news of a successful surgery for Warren Brower. We praise you that he was able to return home, that he is able to recover at home. And as he follows up with doctors and surgeons over the coming weeks, we pray for glowing reports. We pray that his body might be fully restored. And we praise you, God, for coming alongside the Brower family this past week, for granting them peace and a sense of your presence. God, this week we also lift up our sister Janice Zival. God, you know that over the past several weeks, Janice has been experiencing back pain with little answers as to what is going on. So God, we pray that as she has some tests this weekend and going into next week, that you would provide clarity uh, to the persons overseeing her care, that you would grant her body some relief and rest as she waits, and that you would give her family peace as they wait with her. God, certainly your resurrected son can hold our uncertainties, and so we offer them to you this morning. Be with us all, Lord, in our daily struggles as we seek to follow you. Be with us all in our periods of doubt and despair and in our times of happiness, health, and loving. Be with us all until that time when our joy will know no end. God, this we pray in the name of your Son, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As the praise team makes their way um, back up, I want to um, remind us that next week, January 10, we are going to be celebrating communion. So if you are going to be joining us online, We ask that this week, when you make your way to the grocery store, or perhaps have your groceries delivered, um, that you have what you need, um, whether that's bread or juice, a creative alternative. I've been hearing of some good ones in this season, um, and what you need to be ready. Uh, And for us, friends, as we anticipate uh, communion this upcoming week, may we all take the time to be ready, that as we come together and worship, we may encounter God in new and powerful ways. Uh, Friends, would you rise to receive our benediction? Friends, as you leave this place, may God give you courage to pursue him faithfully. May God give you wisdom to know what to say, what to do, what not to say, and what not to do. And may God fill you with gentleness and grace as you discern his presence in the world this week. Amen.